Back again. We're back. Rolling along. Um, what's, what's on deck for today? I would like to ask you some questions. I want to ask you some questions. I was, wanted to talk a little bit about threat intel. I was reading an article the other day that was defining threat intelligence about nation state, not about cybersecurity, just in general, how do we think about existential threat, nuclear warfare, what have you. And it got me back to thinking about some of the discussions we've had about changing threat intel. So I've got a couple of questions. I want to follow through in the line. I'm sure I'll pipe in with my own little opinions in the course of this, but nobody better than you. First, I want to start off at the very top because there are so many different ways people think about threat intelligence, right? Some people think about it, they get an alert from Microsoft that there's a patch available, they think that that's threat intelligence. There are other folks who hear that there was a breach and read about in the paper and they think that's threat intelligence. We still have other people who are worried that their brand has been mentioned somewhere in a stream that makes it look like they may be under attack, blah, all sorts of stuff. I want to ask you, how do you think that most people define threat intel and sort of how do you define it? And how do you think we arrive at a common language around what people should expect of threat intel? I think there's a lot of ways we could go with this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to start. <laughs> we can go, go where we want to go. I think we are at a point of a very limited definition of threat intel. And listen to you asking that question and say, how, would, how do I think others would respond? And how have I seen others respond to it? I believe they're, like, they're looking at like an OSINT feed. Okay. Right, that idea of having like open source intelligence. Yeah, for the audience who may not know what OSINT yes. is. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <Keep> me <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> Meaning stuff that you can get in general around without having to have specific privileges to get access from private in- inside information. Right. So we have um, publicly available lists that um, are curated through various sources. People contribute to it known bad IP addresses, um, known bad domains, um, and that gets fed into like a sticks and taxi feed that people can pick up and ingest. Mm -hmm. Today, I feel like most people see that as a definition of threat intel. Mm -hmm. It is intelligence on um, sources of threats that people have seen. Mm -hmm. And people are looking for things like TTPs and... Um, tactics, techniques, procedures, IOCs, indicators of compromise, like all of these things, right? Um, The issue that we run into with that and only looking at it from that definition is by the time people populate those public lists, it could be days, it could be weeks after the event, and then once that list gets populated, it doesn't get updated real time. It could be 36 hours. It could be 72 hours before it gets published. So it's reasonable to think that anything coming off those lists is pretty stale, Mm. right? And the thing with threat intel and current campaigns and threat actors, like time is of the essence of all this stuff and the shelf life for true TTP or indicator compromise um, is, is most valuable in the moment right, because the campaign's actively going on. Um, that is the most common definition I've, I've seen from people. We as an industry, I think we have an opportunity to do way more. And there's, there's lessons from other industries that uh, they do a pretty good job of threat intelligence and threat gathering. Um, it's applied in a different context. And I don't see that 
we should be in reinventing the wheel. Rather, like, let's take lessons learned from industries that have already done it and done it well, and then apply that same context to what we do in cyber. Having spent hundreds of hours with you, I have to interrupt you before you go where I think you're going to go because then I won't need these questions. <laughs> <laughs> why, why does threat intelligence matter? Like, how does it materially affect the average CIO, the average CISO, in the context of doing their jobs when they've got vendors and service providers and what have you? What do you think the role is of threat intel inside their lives? Pointedly, under the definition that I just gave, it's just enrichment, right? It's, um, it's another data source to validate or disprove what you believe to be an active attack or an event, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's just another, another data point to help inform decision-making as to whether there's an active event going on. Got it. So how would, how, how would you define it if I flip that around to you? I believe that's the way it's used. Yeah. Right. I think, and we've had a couple of folks come to us and ask about it, that sometimes the person who's not in the operational seat is the best target for threat intelligence. Right. So as an example, if I tell a bank that a bank down the street has just been hit by XYZ campaign, the, the IT folks, the security operations folks are likely to take the TTP. They'll set up rules to watch for it. Maybe they'll block a range of addresses they will likely do something tactical that will protect them against the thing that has been identified at a parallel sort of industry, you know, organization. If instead that same feed was rejigged and translated so that it went to the president of the bank or the CIO and said, by the way, bank X down the street just got hammered by this attack. I could see it improving the awareness of those folks that these threats are out there, right? So it's more than TTP intel. It's actually threat because the threat is not the attack. The threat is that banks are going to be targeted by a new campaign for whatever reason, right? Okay. You know, maybe it's uh, when new credit cards come out or something else, right? And they could, if you fed this information in a different way, a little bit higher up, then maybe it might matter in a different way, right? The same way that telling a patient that they're that they have a specific condition or they're ill in a certain way can change the behavior or taking a higher level thing and telling a community that the water's bad or whatever, then then you can actually help more people if you just retarget the messaging. So it's not about that person or that individual or that organization. It's about, it's about a condition. Under those guidelines, that, that contract, do you think we've done a good job of using it for the intended purpose for like the best outcome possible? No, I th no, I think, <laughs> right. I think, I think that technologists built it for technologists. They said, what, what would make me better at my job? And they thought about their jobs and they didn't think about the value that they're pro providing to their organizations, yeah. you know? And, you know, it's interesting, right? Because if I think about threat intel, there's this other piece of it that I think is really interesting, which is how much do I consume from third-party sources and how much do I gin up myself? Like, I look at threat hunting. It's just a threat intel feed, yeah. right? Folks out there running around gathering it, that's just threat intel, right, of their own, and they're making their own. And so I think that it's, it, it has been, it's been a practitioner's tool for practitioners, and I think that it could do, it could do a lot more. Yeah. And, then, and that's, why, that's sort of why I wanted to start the topic today because I had been reading about the nation-state stuff and about warfare because in the CPR – 
I actually took some time and we talked about the idea that you had about changing the nature of the content itself, not just the audience. Cyber priorities report. Yeah, this, that's right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, the sled cyber security priorities report. If you haven't read it, you should. Um, but the idea that it's not just who consumes it, but the way that it's produced for them. What is the expected value output of Threat yeah. Intel? So I'm just going to ask you to dig through that because I'm sure that there are some folks, particularly who aren't in the SLED community, who are in the audience who probably haven't looked at the CPR, right? What What's your thinking on how we can improve the usefulness of Threat Intel? I love this question, by the way. And just for just quick sidestep, we'll put the link to the CPR. Oh, for sure. Yeah. In the show notes. Um, it's an incredible report full of tons of good stuff, forward-thinking ideas. Um, I would highly encourage anybody to, to read through it. Um, back to the regularly scheduled program. I, be I believe we have done ourselves a massive disservice in the threat intel uh, arena. Um, not from the standpoint of what's generated. We, we just try to do too much with it. Um, it's... We ingest too much information that becomes a distraction and isn't really valuable to like what we're trying to do. And, um, you know, when I look at uh, folks trying to operationalize the red intel um, and what you do with it, it's... Uh, it needs to be a purposeful act to right-size it for the organization that you are working in or that you're operating. And with it, in the definition that we first talked about it is only a single piece of this, right? And there's so many other factors. There's geopolitical risks that inform this. There's, um, there's other uh, kind of situational things happening that could add additional context to that threat feed. Um, those things are oftentimes forgotten because they're a little bit harder to inventory and quantify, right? Um, but I think, I think they're important in the evolution of what we're doing in the threat intel space. So one of the things you mentioned inside the CPR is that idea of actionability, right? That intelligence is more than things you think about, more than enrichment, that if it's delivered in the right way, it can actually be acted on, right? And use the example of the early warning system for tornadoes. I think that's a really apt one to talk through. The opportunity that we have for threat intel um, is that it's historically been something that's reactionary in nature. In order to, you ingest a TTP, or, an or tactics, techniques, procedures, or an indicator of compromise, um, it is looking for things that have already happened within an environment. That's the only way you're going to get a match. That's the only way you're going to get a detection. It implies that the known bad thing has already happened. Naturally, you are automatically in a place where you're right of boom and you're already launching incident response capabilities. That's bad. In the world of trying to move this left and making this thing something, this thing, threat intel, proactive and preventative in nature, which means we have to move this thing left, which also means that um, we have to think about the problem a little bit differently. Um, so this means that the threat intel that we are ingesting should be um, 
should be thought about it a little bit differently and think about it more from the standpoint of um, if we know what the landscape looks like from uh, nation state activity, from a campaign activity, um, we inventory those TTPs, things that are current and active at this current moment. As we said, shelf life is super short for threat right. intel. Let's inventory the things that are happening now, um, but let's compare it to the things that we know are known weaknesses, the known vulnerabilities that we have. And if you now say, um, we can see this ransomware campaign as an example. I, I hate using ransomware examples because it's an easy one, right? Um, is exploiting um, the ESX ARGs, right? As yeah. like a really good example. It's uh, one that happened in the last couple of weeks of saying, okay, um, we know ransomware organizations are targeting this. Um, they're getting a foothold through VMware consoles. And we also are situationally aware that we have VMware at our edge that is has not been patched. Your risk profile and your risk urgency immediately changes. But using those facts correctly, we are now moving things from what have traditionally been a right type of activity to a right of boom after um, like detecting things have already happened to something that's proactive and preventive in nature. That given that context, we're like, your job is to either take those things off the edge, yeah. make them unaccessible, or like patch them RFN, right, on. right, before something bad happens. And so if we can get to that point as an industry, which by the way, like, I don't, I don't think this is a monumental lift. We just have to think about it differently. Um, is we have now created what's really the early warning system for cyber threat intelligence. And so what people will see in the CPR report is that um, like a early weather warning system for tornadoes, right? The, the warning system for tornadoes is to preserve assets in human life, right? You're not going to stop the tornado from happening, but you can mitigate some of, um, some of the damage that it does. Take shelter, get things out of the way, um, do all these things to basically preserve human life. And in that case, time, time is of the essence. Like 10 or 15 minutes can save people's lives. The early warning system for cyber is very akin to the, early, the weather early warning system. It's saying, um, let's think about threat intel differently. I'm saying, let's shift it to a proactive way and saying, we know these campaigns are happening, these threat campaigns, these attack campaigns are happening. Mm -hmm. We can take action right now to preserve assets and pre prevent damage from happening. In the case of healthcare, that could be preservation of human life. And in that context, like time is of the essence, shelf life is super short, but the action you take in the next 10 or 15 minutes could be the difference of you making it or not. And so that's kind of the spirit of the early warning system. As you're talking this through, I'm thinking about a, uh, an episode we did a little earlier, which we were talking about um, deception technology and canary in a coal mine. And I was just putting these two concepts together inside my head about threat intelligence. If I, t if I adopt what you're talking about in, in the cruise model and I help people get more comfortable with disclosure, hey, I just got hit or hey, I'm being hit right now before they have to report it to the news, which is, you know, waits 30 days on their PR firm, figuring out what the hell they want to do at a minimum, right? But if instead, as a community, 
we recognize that if I live in town A that's next to town B, and if I'm in town A, I see the hurricane or the tornado coming, it's knocking shit over, I call town B and say, get underground. That's a nice thing to do, right? And I'm not, and I'm not concerned that, well, you should have done a better job of preventing that tor- tornado. Instead, I'm sharing it. I am that canary in the coal mine. If I create the model you just described, if we are more open to communicating in that way, then suddenly as a community, right, we get all that benefit and threat intelligence changes. It becomes attack intelligence. It becomes early warning system. It becomes something that's much more useful than fodder for the analytic mill to decide, have I already been like screwed over in a way that I haven't been able to recognize without getting this feed in. I I think, you know, that it's funny because we did a lot of work and for the audience, we did a lot of work on discussing crews so the folks could understand it because people are adopting it uh, in the CPR. And it's really good for that sled marketplace where you've got a lot of municipalities who can help one another because they tend to get hit by similar styles of attack. But that idea is of encouraging individual organizations to be more open and we can figure out the right way to put out the information so that it's not damning for anybody, that nobody looks back as they get hit, that could really change the entire industry. If you think about WannaCry, if the first person who got hit by WannaCry in May of 2017 had simply sent up a flare that said, holy crap, watch out, you know, this is going to be bad, turn off your, S- turn off your SMB, right, or, or patch it right effing now, then, you know, $400 billion worth of value wouldn't have been lost. And all it would have taken is that first organization to feel good about getting it up there and for everybody else to subscribe, Right, to understand it. So I like it, dude. I like it very much. It's a different way to approach it. There's, um, you know, what what we're talking about is not hard, but it starts with uh, intentionality about, like, wanting to make a change, right? And that's, that's the first step to doing it. I think so much of Threat Intel, because it's the nature of a lot of folks who come into our industry, it feels like spycraft, right? I'm an intelligence person, right? Because there's a lot of brilliant intelligence officers who gather a thousand different bits of feedback and are able to analyze and put it together, you know, down at Langley or someplace and say, wow, it looks like this thing is happening over here or that that person is a spy. I think for us, because so many of the threat intel feeds are actually, hey, this organization just got hosed. I I think it's, it's not even necessarily, I think we maybe overstate it by saying that it's threat intelligence, right? Understanding how it happened is interesting, but we already know it's a spy. We already know it's a bomb, right? All we have to do is get other people to be able to consume it in a way that's useful for them so that they can yeah. prevent themselves from getting hit by it. I believe a lot of people overthink this, to, like, to your point. is um, like If you just take, um, uh, let's, let's just use a, a military analogy. Sure. I, I think it's, I think it's an important one and it's, it's relevant saying if you are um, you're preparing for a battle like you you, you know you're gonna have a skirmish and a, a skirmish and let's just say um, let's just say it's in the Middle East somewhere where you know what your theater is you know um, you know what the landscape is going to be you generally know how the you know the opposing army is starting to disposition line up. of forces yeah. yeah you know where like their trucks are parked like you're actually sending forward scouts in to kind of validate these things or you have pieces of Im- uh, Intel coming back to you says, okay, they have these weapons in place. They have their army moving left or moving right, looking to flank. Um, they have drones coming in. Um, all of these things are just data points. Like nothing has actually happened yet, mm-hmm. but how 
an army or like kind of like a, like someone preparing for battle would receive that information dictates the actions that they would subsequently take. If you know that in the next like battlefield over that, that your like your peer army, the peer forces are being attacked by like bombs. So like, can I use your example saying, okay, we can already see like, this is a tactic that is real and relevant to our peers that are fighting on the other side of the desert here. It's reasonable to think that same tactic could be used here. Maybe Intel does or doesn't validate it, right? Yeah. But but all of these things are basically a battlefield preparation. And it's like, you don't have to overthink this, right? It's what's in front of you. And by the way, once the first bullets start to go flying, like it's kind of it's kind of all all right bets on. are off anyway. Um but in in that that case, there's there's boundaries to what's reasonable and what's gonna happen, right? Like you don't have to worry about like what's happening two thousand miles away. But a lot right? of submarines involved. Perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like, there's there could be threats out there, but that's for that's for the other submarines to worry about. Right. Like, that's that's their electronic battlefield that yeah. they have to worry about. And so, um, when I kind of draw parallels to the threat intel industry that we deal with, is like, if if what I said is just true and people can get behind it, then you look at all the stuff that we do to cultivate threat intel and what we choose to action on, the list that we collect that might be like not relevant to us. Like we totally overdo it. Like we really, really overthink it. And if that's the case, and if that is also true, think about how much time we would save um, focusing on things that actually truly mattered when we can remove all the, all the chaff and not worry about all the things that we shouldn't be worried about. And I think that's the model, right? More value, more actionability, maybe fewer bits to collect, and a real purpose, real intentionality for it. Yeah. That's a winner. We'll call it Threat Intentionality. It's a new TI acronym. There we go. Threat Intel. That's Threat Intentionality. Mm. Yeah, there we go. Nice. That's good for me. Thank you for answering all the questions. (laughs) All right. We good with this one? I'm good with this one. All right. Um, if If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share with your friends. Uh, If you have questions for Jack and I, um, whether it's questions on product, whether it's questions on acquisitions, whether it's there's a breach you want to have covered, you want to learn about more of the details or have Jack and I opine on it, happy to do it. You can send them to pwned at newharborsecurity.com. If you need awesome cybersecurity help, you can reach us at uh, newharborsecurity.com and you can contact us at info at newharborsecurity.com and we'll get you on the next one.